Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. We have really made a mess of things by trying to define what is fair and what is not fair. What's fair? Give everybody a trophy. No, that's not fair. Oh, that is fair. No, it's not. It actually causes more problems than good. Well, I think everybody should get to what? Go to heaven? Why? For free? No, that's, no, that's, see, you don't understand fairness. That's not fair. For God to turn a blind eye to sin is not fair. That's not justice. Imagine a judge who judged everyone not guilty. Would that be just and fair? Of course not. As Pastor James shares, God is our judge when it comes to sin, and he's a just judge because he holds us accountable for our sin. But although there is a penalty to pay for sin, God in his great mercy provided a way of escape. That way is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. Have you done that? If not, Jesus is waiting to save you from your sin. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Obadiah chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Obadiah, is, he's a prophet. We know that. Uh, his name means servant of Yahweh. And Obadiah would have been somewhat of a contemporary of Jeremiah. Okay, so when Jeremiah was running around, Obadiah would have been running around as well. And he has one message, and it's not to the people of Israel. It's not to the people of Judah or to the people of Israel, if you look at the split nation. Uh, it's actually to the people of Edom. All right, so just so you understand, Edom, the Edomites, the Edomites were always at battle or a conflict with Israel, all right? We know that. From the womb, they were fighting, okay, because they were twins. And uh, their story goes all the way back into, into Genesis, and you, there's this, this amazing uh, story that happens there with uh, Isaac, Isaac, you know, finally has a couple of boys, and Jacob and Esau, and, and they're, they're fighting in the womb, all this good stuff. Esau comes out, he his they name him Esau because he's, he's got red hair, he's just, and he's a hairy kid. Um, but they're like, this is Esau. Then Jacob comes out, but he's grabbing onto Esau's leg, right? He's not going to let him get out, you know? So he's, he's kind of the heel catcher, heel, heel snatcher kind of a guy. And then they grow up, and they're two opposite individuals. They couldn't be more opposite from each other. Esau was a man of the field. His dad loved him, Okay. Uh, he loved the fact that he would bring home fresh game, and you know he's he's just he was a man's man kind of a guy. Jacob was like inside guy, uh, liked to cook, liked to bake, and all that good stuff. Uh, he's a mama's boy, is really what he was. That's not saying anything about anybody who likes to bake or cook or nothing like that. But true to the story, his mom loved him, his dad loved his brother, and then one day Esau was out in the fields and all that good stuff, and he comes back and he's like. It's pretty dramatic, too. Um, he's like, I'm starving to death. And Jacob's like, well, sell me your birthright for this little cup of, you know, this little bowl of stew. We'll, we'll call it that. Um, and Esau's like, whatever, whatever. I'll do it, right? So he has no, like, concern for the things of God. That's what that, that's what that illustrates, okay? It's not about food. It's not about anything like that. It's, he has no concerns or desires for anything concerning God. He's a godless man. Who he was, 
okay? And then the Lord's going to use him to be a picture of really the world from that story on out. Um, but he, he forms his own nation. The Lord blesses him and, and all the good stuff. It's the Edomites, and they do, they do nothing but really kind of cause trouble for Israel from there, from there on out. Um, and it gets to the point where this prophecy that was written by Obadiah, he is seeing something that, that's going to happen. You know, he provides a very, very clear depiction of what he sees happening, so much so that people think that he wrote this after it took place. But there's really, I mean, there's, there's a lot of evidence that would suggest that he wrote this even right before it was happening, or he, had, he is in the midst of writing it, and then it happened, and then he finished writing it. There's lots of theories on this. What we know is that the Lord has a prophetic message in this small little book, but it's for the nation of Edom, okay? And if you look right into the very beginning, verse 1, this is the vision that the sovereign Lord revealed to Obadiah concerning the land of Edom which would be out uh, to the southeast of Judah. Uh, it's arid land. It's kind of close to the Dead Sea, just very arid. They, they lived in the, the cliffs, all right? We'll even see that within this text. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen pictures of Petra, not the band. I think there's a Christian band called Petra. I don't, I've never heard them, um, but not the band, but there's a place called Petra, and it's just to the east of Israel. And you can go there. If you go to Israel, it costs you extra because it's another day's journey. But they have this, really this uh, fortress set up within the cliffs. And in order to get to Petra, there's only one way in. And you have to navigate these, this, this kind of cavernous kind of maze, it seems like. And some spots are so uh, tight that you, only one person can squeeze through there at one time. And it's a perfect stronghold. In fact, they said that 12 men could defend that whole palace or that whole fortress against any invading army, because the invading army has to come through one at a time. So they're just getting picked off, right? They're just getting taken out one at a time. That's, that would have belonged to the Edomites, and, and they, they lived within the cliffs. So they're south, southeast of Judah. Edom would, uh, is this prophecy, we'll, we'll see somewhat of a, a a partial fulfillment of this, they, they would fall to Babylon in around 5, 553, 552 BC, okay? But here's, here's the message for these guys. We've heard a message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, let's, or get ready, everyone. Let's assemble our armies and attack Edom. So there's already this convoy that's going to be happening concerning Edom. They would be, they would be attacked and they're going to be destroyed, Right? Says the Lord says to Edom, I will cut down or cut you down to size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us up here? You ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as the eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. So what is their sin? Pride. Pride. It's arrogance. This, the, their main sin that has to be addressed and dealt with is the fact that they are so prideful and they are so arrogant. Nobody can touch us. Nobody can touch us. And God's like, I don't care where you go. Oh, I can get you. You want to go as high as you want? I'll get you. You want to go as low as you want? I'll find you. Right? Like, God's like, I got no problem with finding you, Edom. Uh, your defenses will never hold up against me. So you got this pride issue, but it seems like, well, I mean, certainly there's got to be some grace for pride, right? Like, 
I, I know that. I mean, it's a common sin amongst all of us. In fact, it's, it's one of the, the sins that brought down Satan himself from heaven. He, he, issue, he had an issue with pride. He wanted to be worshipped like God. I have a pride issue. I, I struggle with pride. So it's like, well, God, I don't want you to wipe me out because of my pride. And we, we understand that covered by the blood of Christ and, and there's, there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's all that good stuff. Their, their pride has, has many layers to it, so to speak. And we're going to really see how, just how wicked these guys are. Verse 5, it says, if thieves came by night and robbed you, what, a, what disaster or what a disaster awaits you? They would not take everything. Those who harvest grapes always leave a few for the poor, but your enemies will wipe you out completely. So in, in some cases, it's like robbers come in, they break into your house. They're probably not going to steal everything you have. You know, if you're gleaning or harvesting in the fields, you're going to leave some because that's part of the law is that you leave some for the poor. But God's like, that's not going to be the case with you. They're going to come in, and they're going to wipe you out completely. Every nook and every crayon of Edom will be searched and looted. Every treasure will be found and taken. All your allies will turn against you. They will help to chase you from your land. They will promise you peace while plotting to, to deceive and destroy you. Your trusted friends will set traps for you, and you won't even know about it. At that time, not a single wise person will be left in the whole land of Edom, says the Lord. So he's like, even in your closest confidants, like everybody's turning their backs onto you. For on the mountains of Edom, this is the rest of verse 8, I will destroy everyone who has understanding. The mightiest warriors of, of Timon, uh, Timon will be terrified, and everyone on the mountain of Edom will be cut down in the slaughter. And here is the reason. Because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, or to Jacob, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem, but you acted like one of Israel's enemies. This is what, what we're thinking is happening here is Babylon when they would come in and, and, and overtake Israel. The Edomites just sat by and watched it happen. And not only did they just watch it happen, but they participated in they joined forces with Babylon against their own brothers. Because never forget, there is a blood connection between, between Israel and Edom. And God's like, what you did is despicable. You turned against your own family. It's one thing to turn against like your neighbor, but you turned against your family. It says you should have never, uh, you should not have gloated, verse 12, when they exiled your relatives to distant lands. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. See, they were gloating. They were rejoicing. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible time of trouble. That is despicable. And God is like, I'm going to wipe you out because of that. Let me paint it in a different picture for us, maybe a little more modern times. Imagine you have a, a crazy man 
who is ruling within uh, Germany. His name is Adolf Hitler, and it makes it open season for Jews, right? And then they're hunting down Jews, and they're arresting Jews, and they're murdering Jews. Well, if you had other Jews who were helping out the Nazis to find them, to hunt them down, and even to participate in killing them, that is disgusting. That is exactly what is happening here with the Edomites and Israelites. Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and is taking everybody captive, and the Edomites are like, let's join in. We'll help you find them. We'll help you find them. And not only will they help them find them, they were going to help murder them. And anybody trying to get away, they would capture them and bring them to the Babylonians. And then when they were all ransacked, everybody was taken away, they would go in, just like these fools who will come in after a hurricane, and steal property from other people. That's what the Edomites were doing. Jerusalem got ransacked, and then they took, a, they took advantage of the opportunity. I even heard this for that winter storm up in the Northeast. Like, people are dying. And, and like, there's like 60-plus people who, who have already died from this storm. And they actually had to send out a warning to people, don't go and loot during this time. And what's, what, what is current today is what was a problem back then, and there's nothing new under the sun, and humanity is just sinful. And at times, very disgusting that we would take advantage of each other. And that's exactly what the Edomites were doing. They were taking advantage of Israel and instead of helping them, they were coming against them. They were treating them like they were their enemies. Now, there's, this, uh, there's, a, there's a hinge that happens within this little bitty book, and it's verse 15. Because it's talking about, like, here's these events that are probably just about to happen, kind of a scenario. And then it, it transitions to future type stuff. Verse 15, it says, the day of the Lord is, uh, the day is near when I, the Lord, will judge all the godless nations. As you have done to Israel, so it will be done to you. All your evil deeds will fall back on your own heads. So yes, this is being directed towards the Edomites, but now they're kind of being pictured as all the nations. It says, I will judge all godless nations. The Edomites, Edom, is always kind of a picture. In, in one way, it's, it's a picture of the flesh, flesh versus spirit. You can see that in the book of Galatians, Okay. But they are also a picture of godless nations. So here's where the switch goes from like, this is what we see, what we know is fulfilled for them in their, their lifetime. Now it, the hinge happens to where it's future type events. And God's like, oh, I'm going to show up and I'm going to judge all the godless nations. I'm going to take care of everybody. So it's just as you swallowed up my people on my holy mountain, so you and the surrounding nations will swallow the punishment I pour out on you. Yes, all you nations will drink and stagger and disappear from history. The Edomites have pretty much disappeared from history. They're gone. Now, there might be some, if they do an ancestry DNA test or whatever, they might find like, oh, I can trace myself back to those guys. But for the most part, they, they've been uh, absolved into other cultures. Um, we, know that, we know that for a fact. I mean, uh, the last known, I guess, popular Edomite would have been Herod the Great. And you remember how much he loved Jesus, right? That he sent guys out to kill all the babies to try to kill baby Jesus. Oh, that whole Edom thing 
they still, they still were a thorn in the flesh of Israel, right? When he died off, his family would, and, and there's a history behind the Edomites where they were captured by other people and just assimilated into others, some of these other groups. But for the most part, they've just kind of died out. The nation itself. And God's like, you, you, you mess with my guys. You mess with my, my people. I, I'm going to take you out. And he has. He has. Spiritually speaking, there will be a fulfillment of this in the end times as well. But here's the promise, the good news for Israel. But Jerusalem will become a refuge for those who escape. It will be a holy place. And the people of Israel will come back to reclaim their inheritance. The people of Israel will be a raging fire and Edom a field of dry stubble. The descendants of Joseph will be a flame roaring across the field, devouring everything. There will be no survivors in Edom. I, the Lord, have spoken. And that, for the most part, like I said, has been fulfilled. His word is true. And even the rest of this will prove to be true as well. It says, then my people living in the Negev will occupy the mountains of Edom. Those living in the foothills of Judah will possess the Philistine plains and take over the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and the people of Benjamin will occupy the land of Gilead. The exiles of Israel will return to their land and occupy the Phoenician coast as far as, as far north as Zarephath. The captives from Jerusalem exiled in the north will return home and resettle the towns of the Negev. Those who have been rescued will go up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to rule over the mountains of Edom. And the Lord himself will be king. So there's like, even in the midst of that, there's still, we've seen some fulfillment of that happen as well, because they, they did come back to the land. Even in this time, when they were taken as captives, they did come back. Uh, but they never, they've never regained all of the land that it's talking about just yet. So there's still some fulfillment that, that's needing to be done there. There's also the fact that the Lord himself will be, it won't be like because he is king, but will be worshipped and recognized as king. Okay, so there's some future type stuff, but there's Obadiah or not Obadiah. Yeah, um, Obadiah. I'm mixing them up with these other ones. Uh, Obadiah shows up, gives this message to the Edomites, and is like, "Oh, just a heads up, guys. Your 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 clock has run out. Your time is up. Your time is up. And, and you've had you've had thousands of years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years." to be concerned about the things of the Lord, to align your heart with the things of the Lord, to not be so self-motivated and self-focused, because that is exactly who Edom, Esau was. So concerned about himself, so focused on himself. And the nation took on the personality of their great patriarch. And as selfish as he was, so were they. And he didn't care about his dad. He didn't care about his birthright. He didn't care about any, he didn't care about the things of the Lord or anything like that. And so that was true of the nation itself. And God's like, you're done. You're done. And that's a, uh, that's a good, that's a good little message for us. Um, especially in the days and age, days in, in the age in which we live. Where everybody's like, well, no, that's not fair. No, no, no. We don't get to define what's fair. Okay, we don't, we don't get to, and we've tried, and we have really made a mess of things by trying to define what is fair and what is not fair. What's fair? Give everybody a trophy. No, that's not fair. Oh, no, it is fair. No, it's not. 
It actually causes more problems than good. Well, I think everybody should get to what? Go to heaven? Why? For free? No, that's, no, that's, see, you don't understand fairness. That's not fair. For God to turn his, a blind eye to sin is not fair. That's not justice. God wiping out a nation that he's giving, has been given multiple chances, multiple opportunities to turn away from their sins and turn back to him. And in fact, they do the complete opposite of that, where they relish and they celebrate in the destruction of, his own, of their own brothers. God's like, you're done. You're done. Doesn't sound fair. Hey, guess what? It is fair. It is fair. God can do whatever he wants to do. And everything he does is right and just. And believe it or not, loving and loving. We don't always know how to frame that within our brains. But I know what his word says, that he is, he's, he, he is love. He is just. He is fair. And for the Edomites, man, you just had a long history of like wanting nothing to do with him. And so God's like, time ran up. You're done. Sobering kind of prophecy there, but it's also an encouraging one for the nation of Israel. Um, it's encouraging for us as well because it, it's just another one that proves his word comes true. Just like he said, his word is trustworthy. Let me summarize the book of Obadiah that we just went through. But just as a reminder, um, in case I forgot to say this, but Obadiah, his name means one who worships God. And essentially what he does as a minor prophet used by God is he focuses on the judgment of Edom concerning their attitudes towards their brothers, the Israelites, as they were being captured by Babylon and being taken away. And so just as a just a simple reminder and a few just notes to kind of carry away with us. Historically, when Israel was leaving Egypt and trying to get into the promised land, the Edomites were part of one of the groups that wouldn't allow them to come in. And obviously, we know this relationship goes back to Jacob and Esau and the animosity that was there between those two. And then it carries down the road to where, like I said, they're coming out of Egypt and we're not permitted to pass through the Edomites land. And Moses had told everybody not to harbor any hate in their heart towards the Edomites back in Deuteronomy chapter 23. But when Babylon invaded Israel uh, and destroyed Jerusalem, uh, the Edomites were cheering right along. They were cheering the destruction of uh, really their their family. I mean, they still are, they're related. And so that's a sad thing. And the basic sin issue with the Edomites concerning the book of Obadiah was pride. And, uh, and their pride would be what would lead to their destruction. So when we celebrate the downfall and the destruction of other people, we need to be aware of the fact that maybe destruction is right around the corner for you. Okay, so never ever celebrate, I would say, especially that of a, a family member or a brother or something. We shouldn't, we shouldn't celebrate when people fall or are taken captive by something. Uh, it's a ridiculous attitude to have or a horrible outlook to have concerning other people. But they were cheering this on. Instead of helping their family, they stood on the other side and they cheered on the Babylonians. There's just this harboring of bitterness and hatred and celebrating the downfall of the other and, and all of that. And, we know that this happens sometimes within our families. People want to hold on to that bitterness. Bitterness never brings healing. Bitterness always brings death and separation. It just always does. Hope to the
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're currently in a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Don't let the word minor fool you. Normally, its definition is widely known as not important, but that's not the case here. Many men from days of old spoke about the faithfulness of Jesus and his power to bring wayward souls back to him. Despite all of their poor choices, Jesus used different prophets to speak the saving truth of his righteousness into their lives. If you liked what you heard today, you have an opportunity to share it with others by making a donation to this ministry at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Donation tab. Feel free to explore other teachings by Pastor James as well. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary, Galveston. If you're looking for a church that you can call home, or you simply want to connect and pray with somebody, we'd love to be that for you. You can get in touch with us by filling out the contact form at our website, breadforthebroken.com. Interested in visiting us at one of our services? Well, you have two options available to you, Sundays at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. If you can't get there, we invite you to use our Facebook live stream. We'd love to connect with you because there's hope and healing in Jesus. Our time is up for today's edition, but we'd encourage you to tune in next time to hear more about these prophets that had major messages from God. Join us for more wisdom that comes from the Word of God right here on Bread for the Broken. Bread for the Broken